Good morning, Cornerstone Church. That was pretty lame. Right, let's see if I can wake you up. I want to begin the sermon with one word. Wait, it's coming. All right, now that I have your attention, because I didn't get it on the good morning thing, let's talk about why I have your attention. Why is it that when we come to this topic, all of a sudden we open our eyes and we become alert? It doesn't happen with other topics, okay? So let's, I'll just show you. Here's this one. Yeah, but Ronaldo's out and Messi's out, so it's sort of meh. Um, all right, let's try this one. Got your back, don't I? Let's try a few more. Kinda, maybe, you know who you are. And we could go back to this one. And one more, I think. <laughs> There's a certain point, never mind. <laughs> um, why is it that when the topic of sex comes up, we all become alert? And we think, maybe that's, is that supposed to be that way? Um, it's interesting that as followers of Jesus, we are really good at talking about and praying about, about and developing our spirituality. But we're not as good at talking about and praying about and developing our sexuality. Which is a little bit ironic because we of all people, we're the ones who know that we are created as male and female in the image of God. In the very first chapter of the Bible, we learn that, that we are spiritual beings and we are sexual beings. And we would do well to explore, to talk together more, to, to kind of figure out more about our sexuality. So, um, when, which is why, by the way, sex captures our interests so much. This goes into our very souls. This touches us very, very deeply in our sense of being and in our essence. So instead of being embarrassed by the power of sex, I think we ought to realize that that is part of how God has made us as human beings. So, um, the, when, we, when the pastor started to put together this series of messages on the book of Proverbs, it was really easy to figure out that we were going to have to talk about sexuality because there are so many Proverbs that deal with sexuality and marriage and adultery and lust and, and all kinds of, of ways sexuality can get broken and all kinds of ways that it's supposed to thrive. So, um, so this morning, I want to give you a checklist of biblical masculinity and biblical femininity. And I hope that you're going to use the checklist in three ways. First, I hope you'll use the checklist for yourself and what you want to become. I hope you will only start with the one that I give you because this is a topic that is so rich and so profound that you can explore it and ought to be exploring it for the rest of your lives. So I hope you'll start with this list, and I think, hope the first thing you'll do is, women, I hope you will, will long to figure out how to live into this checklist of biblical femininity. And men, I hope you will do the same for biblical masculinity. 
So that's the first thing I, I would like you to do with the list. Second thing I'd like you to do with the list, if you're not married, I hope that you will start to see this as a checklist for the kind of person that you want to marry. Spoiler alert, being hot is not on the biblical checklist of why you should marry someone. It's fine if it's there, but it doesn't make the checklist. And then thirdly, I hope that you'll use this list to, to nurture and affirm biblical masculinity and biblical femininity in the people in your life. Now, we all know that in romance and marriage, we have an incredible power to draw out each other's masculinity and femininity. But I hope that you'll use this, see that this is a list that you can use in every relationship in your life. Romantic ones, certainly, but also non-romantic ones. My son has had a significant influence on his sister's femininity. And his sisters have had a significant influence on his masculinity. This is a list that you can use with your siblings. It's a list that you can use with your dad and with your mom. You can honor biblical masculinity and femininity in your mom and dad. You can honor it in your brothers and sisters in Christ, in your friendships. And so, um, so just as an example, this, I was off Facebook for like three weeks. I just didn't even check into it um, because life was kind of busy. And so on Friday this week, I came across what my what one of my daughters posted to me for Father's Day. And I want to read it to you for what she said as a model of how we can nurture each other's femininity and masculinity as parents, as friends, as brothers and sisters in Christ. She wrote this. She said, oh, the picture was, was me um, at her wedding. So she was facing this way. Her husband was this way. And I was um, facing like this. And the picture was coming from that side. And she wrote this. She said, happy Father's Day to the dad who has always loved me so very much who taught me to know I am valued as his daughter and as a child of God, and whose love showed me I am worth the unbelievable love that he and now Mike have for me. All right, there is power that we all have to nourish not just each other's spirituality, but to nourish and draw out and affirm each other's biblical masculinity and femininity. So, um, I went through, I read the entire book of Proverbs um, last Monday, and I pulled out every single verse that I could find that talked about our, our, our sexuality, our relationships, marriage, sexual sin, adultery, all that kind of stuff. And, and Proverbs is incredibly direct. It just gets in our faces so often. So um, by way of um, example, Proverbs 2, verses 16 through 19. Pay attention to wisdom, so you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Proverbs 6, about lust. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not get burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. Proverbs 11. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Proverbs 22. The mouth of a forbidden woman is a deep pit. He with whom the Lord is angry 
will fall into it. And those, that's just a sampling of, of proverb after proverb, verse after verse in the book of Proverbs that just reaches out and slaps us about our sexuality. Now, we know that God's laws are always given to us for our good. God doesn't give us laws to kind of keep us from having fun or keep us from enjoying life. God's laws are always for our good. And when you read all of the admonitions against sexual sin, against adultery, and against lust, and when you read all of those in Proverbs, you start to ask the question, or at least I did, what is the good that all of these Proverbs are trying to protect? What is the positive picture that we have offered before us? And so I, um, I went to and read through the book of Proverbs again, and I thought, where is there any place in Proverbs that has a picture of the glory and goodness of God-honoring sexuality. And I landed in a place that I did not expect myself to find at all. So, um, how many of you know what Proverbs 31 is about? Raise your hand if you know what Proverbs 31 is about. Okay, when you hear Proverbs 31, what do you think of? The Proverbs 31 woman or wife, okay? That's not just what Proverbs 31 is about. I went to Proverbs 31 and I saw there a picture of positive sexuality. I saw a picture there, you have to, you have to dig, okay, it doesn't just kind of flow out, but in meditating on, some, on Proverbs 31, we can see positive masculinity, noble masculinity, and noble femininity. And so I wanna give you a checklist today of noble masculinity and noble femininity. And the reason I use the word noble is because that word shows up, it's in verse two for men and verses 10 and 29 for women. The word, that, that, the word noble, it's, various, it's, translated, it's used tons of times in the Old Testament, variously translated as noble, strong, mighty, dignified, valiant, excellent, and worthy. And so I wanna share with you a checklist of noble, strong, mighty, dignified, valiant, excellent, and praiseworthy masculinity and femininity. Um, I'm going to give you five points for the women and five points for men. And again, this is just a starting checklist because this is a theme that you should explore for the rest of your life. But I'm not going to give you all of the men and then all the women. I'm going to walk through Proverbs 31 with you, and as each one shows up, we will talk about it. So if you're taking notes, you can just take a picture of the last two slides where all the ones for women, all the ones for men will be together, or you can follow and you'll know where we are um, by the slides. So starting with Proverbs 31, verses 1 through 3, this is what we read. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Only a mom can ask her son questions like that. What are you doing, son? Do not give your strength, the word is nobility, okay? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. Interesting phrase. By the way, um, we tend to read Proverbs 31 and tend to think it's about the, the excellent wife or the Proverbs 31 wife. Um, interestingly, Proverbs 31, the whole thing, is written by a mother. We don't know who King Lemuel is, but his mom has written to him about his masculinity and about the femininity of the woman that he should choose one day to marry. 
So Proverbs 31 is written about singles from a mom of a king. And she says to him, do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. What I see here, it's starting point for this, and you'll see in just a moment, women. Um, men, would you make a vision of noble masculinity part of the core of your being? Will you explore what the scriptures say about wholesome and healthy and good masculinity? And will you get a vision of what that is and make that part of your core identity? Because what Lemuel's mother is saying to him is, I mean, the, the thing, don't give your strength to women, is almost about sexuality stuff, and I'll read in just a moment. And don't give your ways to those who would destroy kings is almost surely about his self-control. But what's behind that, she is trying to inculcate in her son a vision of masculinity that is so strong that he won't let it be sacrificed. He won't give in to temptations. So first, do not give your strength to women. Uh, men, listen to this from Proverbs 5. And this is about um, masculinity and sec uh, sexuality. It's about pornography, sex outside marriage, and faithfulness in marriage. Proverbs 5. Drink water from your own cistern. These are all sexual references. Flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad? Streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. All right. She says to her son, don't give your strength to women. Don't sacrifice who you are as a godly man for sexual promiscuity. And this has to do not just with, with active, but it has to do with pornography, it has to do with lust, it has to do with all of the ways that we can be tempted to, by the world, the flesh, and the devil, to give up the masculinity that God has for us to honor. And, um, and so she says, protect your, your nobility, protect your virility for marriage itself. And then the second phrase is, do not give um, what your ways to those who would destroy kings. Guys, there are things that we do that destroy us. They destroy our credibility. She says, other people can drink wine, but, but that's not what we do as men of God, because we have a noble masculinity that is part of the core of our being. And so I would like to encourage um, men, I would like to encourage you to memorize one proverb in particular, Proverb 25:28. It goes like this, it's very simple. Like a city without walls, so is a man who lacks self-control. You ought to memorize that. Think about a city without walls. So when our daughter was married this spring in Tuscany, we've, we visit all these walled cities on hill towns throughout Tuscany. Whether it's Tuscany or the ancient Near East, a city without walls is vulnerable to anything. Anything marches in and takes what it wants and wrecks what it wants and destroys whatever's there. Like a city without walls is a man who lacks self-control. Would you nurture self-control at the very core of your understanding 
of noble masculinity. If you don't, then just about anything that wants will march into your life and will wreck and destroy anything that's there. So first of all, men, would you make a vision of noble masculinity part of the core of who you are? The second admonition is also for men, and it's in verses 4, 5, and 8. And uh, let me read them for you, and then I'll tell you what the point is. Proverbs 31, 4, 5, and 8. It's not for kings, O Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. Lest they for drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. An essential component of Christian masculinity is that we understand that we are protectors and advocates. We are always there to protect the poor, to protect the needy, to protect anyone who is vulnerable, and we are advocates. When something is not right, we get up and speak up and we stand up and we intervene and we stand between those who are vulnerable and those who are threatening them. It is core to biblical manhood that we understand that we are protectors and advocates. Gentlemen, you know that most of the worst evil in the world is done by men. Just the reality of the fact. The only thing necessary for evil men to perpetrate their evil on others is for good men to do nothing. It is core to our masculinity that we are protectors and that we are advocates. We don't wait for someone else. When something's going wrong anywhere where we are, we intervene. So I shared, I taught the, the boys in Sunday school last week. And I shared a story of being on, on the, the tee, this is a couple months ago, and um, a guy came on who was pretty big, and um, I'm pretty sure he was drunk or high, I couldn't quite tell, um, but he became very threatening to an Asian woman that was sitting on the other side. And I was sitting here, the door was here, she was there. He came on and he faced her and he started talking about how Asians should get out of the country because it wasn't their country, right? As a Christian man, it was not my job to watch that and hope somebody did something. It was my job to get up and stand between them. Gentlemen, this is what we do as men of God. We protect and we advocate. And women, can I suggest something to you? If a guy doesn't have clarity that this is part of who he is, you probably cannot trust his character. If, for instance, what um, his mother, Lamuel's mother, was telling him, if, for instance, you have a guy who regularly gets drunk and, or in some other way, because there are lots of ways to dull our capacity to advocate for the afflicted, if you have a man who dulls his capacity in whatever way or doesn't understand that it is his calling to be a protector and an advocate, you ought to think about whether you really ought to date or marry that guy because you probably cannot trust his character. Because when this is in a man's character, you can trust that he will always protect, he will always speak up. All right, next one is for women. It's the first one for women. Mirrors the one for, I met for men. Um, I see this in verses 10 through 12. And women, I want to encourage you to make a vision of noble femininity, noble womanhood, core to your sense of identity as well. 
Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 12, an excellent wife, and the word is, half the time that word is translated as wife in the Old Testament, half the time it's translated as woman. So this applies to women as well as to married women. An excellent woman or wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Um, women, what is your vision of noble femininity? I would encourage you, Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no revelation from the Lord, the people cast off restraint. If you don't have a revelation from God about your noble femininity, then you don't have anything restraining your life. You don't have banks on the river so that your life can flow strong and deep. If you don't have a revelation from the Lord, if you haven't thought about your, your noble biblical femininity, then you do a little bit of that, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, and your life amounts to a little bit of everything and not much of anything. In, this, in these verses, I see two characteristics uh, and there are going to be lots more, which I really pray that you will, will think deeply about and talk with each other about. But I see here two characteristics of biblical femininity, of, of what it would look like. And the first one is that an excellent wife is more, more precious than, than um, jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her. Noble femininity is trustworthy. That you can always count on her character. You don't have to wonder whether she's going to flip and flop and flip and flop because noble femininity has a character that is anchored and is trustworthy. Second characteristic I see here is noble femininity does good. If you're married, you do good to your husband all the days of your life. If you're not married, you simply do good all the days of your life. Those are two characteristics of, of godly femininity. And I want to encourage you, I've met with so many of you one-on-one, -on -one, and I have to tell you that I see this in so many of your lives. I see a faithfulness with your character that is deep, and I see that you are committed to do good in the world no matter what. And I want to tell you that God will always honor that. So, I encourage you, develop a picture of noble femininity. Make it core to who you are. All right, the third one for men is in verses 10 and 11. We've read the two of the verses, but I'll read, I'll read them again. And, and the admonition is this. Men, honor and trust women. All right? Noble masculinity honors and trusts women. It's verses 10 and 11. An excellent wife who can find, she is more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. All right, guys. Toxic masculinity is a thing. Google it. People are all over the map on what they say it is. But there is a toxic masculinity that is rampant in our world. And it damages us and it damages all the people in our lives, especially the, our women, the women in our lives and the children in our lives. So I look it up. To, um, Google toxic masculinity. But we can be masculine and not be toxic. There is a masculinity that, that shows honor and respect for women. As we see it here, 
An excellent wife or woman who can find, she's more precious than jewels. Noble masculinity honors women and treasures women. And noble masculinity is able to trust women, as opposed to thinking that we have to be in control and we're the only ones who can do it right and we'll fix things around here and we're always looking over our shoulder to make sure that she gets it right because we don't trust her. Noble masculinity honors women and trusts women, period. All right, second one for women. And this is the one that wears you out, okay? Um, women, steward your creative energy and resourcefulness. And there are a whole... By the way, um, um, Proverbs 31 from verses 10 to 22 is an acrostic. All right, every verse starts with a consecutive next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, so, so it just lined up, and it, it probably as an, a way to help memorize it, but it's an acrostic. But because it's an acrostic, stuff jumps around just a little bit. So Lemuel's mom was trying to put one thing here and one thing here. So let me read the verses um, that caused me to see that stewarding your creative energy and resourcefulness is part of noble um, femininity. Uh, verse 13, she see, the, the woman in, in Proverbs 31, she seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like, she is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She puts her hands to the staff and her hand holds the spindle. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat carbs, as in she does not eat the bread of idleness. All right, let me go up here. Because let me read you a quote of one person talking about the Proverbs 31 woman. One person wrote this. Ah, yes. The Proverbs 31 woman. The holy grail of biblical femininity. She is the wonder woman of scripture. The unstoppable female juggernaut of life that conquers life with little or no difficulty. No woman has inspired more books, ministries, blogs, conferences, devotionals, mugs, feelings of guilt, and self-loathing as her. All right, when you read through the list of, um, of this acrostic, um, you figure out she's a morning person, and she's a night person. She works her fingers to the bone with willing hands. She, um, she's into real estate. She manages vineyard. She manages her household staff, and the list goes on and on and on. And now, a couple things. This is a queen, okay? She does have staff to do a bunch of things, all right? So there are, it's not the exact same then as it were. But here's what I find to be the same, whether it's ancient Near East or today. Noble femininity is incredibly diligent. Noble femininity is diligent. We talked about laziness last week. Noble femininity is not lazy. She doesn't eat the bread of idleness. And I have to tell you, I still can't believe how Marla managed everything in our household when we had little kids running all over the place. She was managing the kids, she was managing the household, we were in another country, she was doing it all in Spanish, and she was managing me because I was like another kid sometimes, and I can't, the, the energy that she had. Marla says that guys are wimps because when we're sick, we lay around and moan and groan and just somebody has to take care. But when moms are sick, 
they still take care of the kids and feed them and make sure they get to school and they take care of the sick husband and then they drop into bed late at night um, even though they've been sick all the way through. So I kid you not, at the Ohio reception for our daughter's wedding this last summer, um, Marla was, in, none of us even knew how sick Marla was until like two days later when my da daughter got the same thing because she was two, two days behind Marla and Christine said, I can't believe mom was even standing when she was as sick as I am from what she had. Um, noble femininity is incredibly diligent, but that means that it takes a lot of energy. So can I encourage you, women, and especially moms, moms of young kids, you're exhausted most of the time. So is the Proverbs 31 woman, I am pretty darn sure, all right? Can I encourage you then to steward your creative energy and resourcefulness? Figure out what drains you and figure out what sustains you and pay attention to those things. All right, number three is also this third one for women and it is this, um, biblical femininity, noble femininity, nurtures confident self-respect and self-care. And I see this in a number of verses, 17, 18, 21, and 25. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her households are clothed in scarlet. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. First of all, I see here that noble femininity nurtures a confident self-respect. I hear so many women, and Marla used to do this constantly. You put your head on the, on the pillow at night, and you feel like a failure for all the things you didn't get done. Noble femininity is able to see what was better in the world because of you, and is able to have a confidence that because you were faithful on that day, the world was a better place. Can I encourage you to try to end the day not in defeat and seeing all the things that you failed in, or all the things that you never got around to, but can I encourage you to instead end the day with praise to God for how you were able to touch the world because of the kind of woman that you are. And noble femininity attends to self-care. Confident self-respect, but also self-care. Um, in verse 17, the noble woman dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. I don't know whether she was going to the gym or not. You guys can figure that one out. But what I see here is that she took care of herself. Self-care in noble fem femininity is not vanity. Self-care is not selfishness. Self-care is selflessness. So again, pay attention to how you are sustained and restored. You'll need to do this for the rest of your life because life gets more and more complicated as you go through it. So pay attention to what's draining you and what sustains you and give yourself the self-respect to give yourself the self-care. All right, the next one's for men, and it's the fourth one for men. I'm not going to comment on it much. Um, it's in verse 30, 23, um, and the, the point is this. Um, noble masculinity is a force for good in the community. Verse 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. I think this is an outcome out of us being advocates and protectors of the poor and the afflicted and the needy. If we do that faithfully, we're not just taking care of our own, we're taking care of others so that we have a reputation in the community as being men who are living 
good lives. We are doing our good deeds before people so that they see our good deeds and give praise to our God who is in heaven. It's part of noble Christian masculinity to be a force for good, to be known for good in the community. All right, fourth one for women. There are just a couple more and we're almost done. Um, women, cultivate compassionate wisdom. Noble femininity cultivates compassionate wisdom. We see it in verses 20 and 26. Verse 20, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. And 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. So, compassionate wisdom is part of noble femininity. It means just like the, the men who are supposed to be advocating and caring for the poor, so too noble femininity looks for ways to take care of the needy. And your life is not complete if you don't have some place where you're investing in people who don't give you anything back. Investing in people who are needy and only you will be there to fill their needs. But secondly, she opens her mouth with wisdom. Noble femininity speaks wisely. Would you cultivate wisdom in your life? And that's what the whole book of Proverbs is about. But you won't be a wise woman of God if you don't reflect and pray and think about life and think about how would the Spirit of God admonish you to speak into this situation. Noble femininity, femininity opens her mouth with wisdom. And thirdly, teaching of kindness is on the lips of godly women. When you speak, it is not with an acidic tongue. It is not to complain. It is not to find fault. It is to teach kindness in the world. So you may have probably heard that phrase, you know, men make a living, but women make life worth living. That is very, very true for noble femininity because these are the things that bring grace and goodness to life and to our hearts and to our world. All right, last one for women, number five. Let honor and fear of the Lord, let honor and fear of the Lord be the foundation of your beauty. It's verse 30. Many of you have heard it. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Noble women are not perfect. We know that you have so many ways to grow in your godly femininity, but you are becoming more and more perfectly who God has created you to be. There's nothing wrong with charm and physical and feminine beauty, all right? It's delightful, but it doesn't last. So that proverb I read earlier, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. When I see beautiful women who don't have um, this, this honor for the Lord at the core in their soul, it's sort of like, meh. But... If you have a fear of the Lord in your heart, if you are living your life so that God will be honored, then that inner beauty is a multiplier of your charm and your feminine beauty. It just plain makes you gorgeous. And by the way, charm will come and go. You're, you know, Marla and I are not the same sexy people that married each other, all right? A few things changed over the years. I, I'm not the hunk that she fell in love with. Beauty's gonna change. It doesn't have to fade. Age doesn't take away anything of substance. 
It only takes away what's on the surface. So as we get older, more of who we are will come forth and noble femininity will have a beauty that will continue to blossom because you have a fear and respect of the Lord um, deep in your soul. And then the last one for men. Men, give great honor to noble women. Give great honor. It's verses 28, 29, 31. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done, this is the husband speaking, many women have done excellently. Again, it's the word noble, that same word. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Noble masculinity actually honors all women, no matter what, okay? But noble masculinity especially honors noble femininity. In our, our girlfriends and our wives, in our daughters, in our sisters, in our mothers, in our sisters in Christ. Noble masculinity honors greatly noble femininity. And I have to admit to you that throughout our life, Marla has been a far more noble woman and wife and mother than I have been a man, a husband, and father. Marla, uh, I, I look at my wife and, and she excellently exceeds other wives that I see. And we got to tell our wives that so that they know. And Marla, I'm going to screw up a lot more in our life. I know that because I get a good track record of that. But I'm going to try to, for the rest of my life, work to earn your love and your affection and your noble femininity. Um, men... We have to do this for our wives and for our girlfriends, for our sisters and for our daughters and our sisters in Christ. We have an incredible power to nourish biblical femininity. And women, by the way, you have way more power than you can ever imagine for nourishing our masculinity, whether you're dating us or married to us or not. You have incredible power, all of us, Let's not be surprised by the power of sex. Let's realize it is given to us as a tool to nourish each other's masculinity and femininity. It's given to us as a way to love this world and make it better. So let me give you the summary up here. Um, Proverbs 31 gives us a picture of excellent, noble, praiseworthy, godly, biblical, joyful, powerful masculinity and femininity. So men... Make a vision of noble hand, manhood core to your sense of being. Be a protector and advocate. Honor and trust women. Be a force for good in the community and give great honor to noble women. And women, make a vision of noble womanhood core to your sense of being. Steward your creative energy and resourcefulness. Nurture confidence, self-respect, and self-care. Cultivate compassionate wisdom and let honor and fear for the Lord be the foundation of your beauty. And we can change the world through the power, not just of our spirituality, but of our sexuality in a, a world that is just crazy sexually. We can show a better way to live.
And this is what all of those other Proverbs are so forcefully trying to protect for us. All right, as we come to the table of communion, for some of us, there is pain in our sexual, our sexuality, in our sexual history. Um, as we come to the table of communion, if there's pain or shame in this area of your life, we need to admit that that's not superficial because this goes deeply into who we were created to be as male and female. But Jesus invites you to bring any pain and any shame to him. Jesus invites you to bring any brokenness in your sexuality to him. And, and I want to encourage you to do that because if we don't bring our, our sin and our shame and our brokenness to Jesus, Satan will use it to try to convince us that we are damaged goods, that we are no good, that it doesn't matter anymore, that we simply can never regain a godly sexuality. So this morning, during the time of meditation in preparation for communion, would you just talk to Jesus about your sexuality? Share with him any hurts. If there's sin, then confess your sin and ask him to give you godly repentance so that you can change patterns in your life. If you've been sinned against, ask him for healing and the ability to forgive those who have sinned against you. Come to Jesus with your whole being, not just your spirituality, but also your sexuality. Some of you, there's not pain there, but maybe there's longing, or maybe there's confusion. Bring that to Jesus Christ during this time. And if we confess our sins, we know that he is faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us from all unrighteousness, which means that we are not damaged goods, we are not broken, because Jesus has taken our sin and our shame on the cross we sang it before, the cross has spoken, we are forgiven. Christ has broken every chain. Jesus Christ is our living hope. And then before you come to receive the bread and the cup, simply rededicate your whole being, your spiritual spirituality and your sexual, rededicate it to the Lord Jesus Christ and tell him that, that with his help you are committed to gain and maintain a godly sexuality. So if the communion servers would come forward now. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he said this is my body given for you. And in the same way, after the meal, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood, the symbol of the new covenant, the new relationship that we can have together because your sin is covered, your shame is gone, your healing is coming. And he said to them, do this in remembrance of me. So let me pray. 
and then give the, have a time for meditation, and then give the community servers time to serve one another, and come when you are ready. Lord Jesus, we are, we're, we're such complicated beings, but that's because we reflect your image, every single one of us. Every human being is created in your image with this stamp of spirituality and sexuality. And we just want to give all of who we are to you. Lord Jesus, if you have anything that you need to hear from anyone in this room, would you give them a sense of their ability to share it with, it, with you during this time? And Lord Jesus, if you have something that you want to say, would you speak to the hearts of each person the exact thing that you have for their souls to forgive, to affirm, to heal, and to redeem. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.